In our meditation practice, we often, more often than not, uh, as we're making an effort to be present, uh, to be mindful of the breath and the body, we meet obstacles. The Buddha said, as we're developing concentration, we should look and see uh, when we're uh, coming up against five obstacles in particular, what he called the five hindrances. In other cases, he suggested, which of course are aversion, desire, dullness, restlessness, and doubt. In other cases, he uh, emphasized that as we're looking to make our way to the present moment and develop concentration, we should be mindful of two hindrances in particular, the hindrances of dullness and restlessness. And from my own experience as, as, a, as a practitioner for many years and also as a teacher, uh, very, 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 very rarely do I have a period of meditation when I don't uh, meet up against either dullness or restlessness. You know? And I, I would say for most people, that's going to be the case in any meditation, in any period of meditation, uh, you're going to meet uh, one of those hindrances, either dullness, the mind that's dull, uh, or the mind that's restless. And really when we talk about restlessness, uh, it's the mind that's churning out lots of thoughts, excessive thoughts. Oftentimes they're thoughts about this, that, and the other thing. Oftentimes they're not really thoughts about anything that's too important. Sometimes they are. But uh, the mind's purpose uh, isn't to cogitate on things. It's to avoid being present. And the mind's purpose in going into those states of dullness uh, is, is not to alleviate the tiredness that we may be experiencing in our lives, it's to avoid being present. So these are states uh, that are rooted in delusion. They're rooted in delusion. They're states that we enter into in meditation as we make an effort, as we make an effort to uh, develop concentration, to be present, as we make an effort to develop concentration and be present, as we begin to come into the present moment, the mind will defend against uh, us being present, will avoid the present moment. Uh, you know, we'll see this in pretty much any period of meditation. I always find it interesting because uh, at the beginning of the meditation, I'm usually, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, awake and alert, you know, and, you know, the mind isn't churning out too many thoughts, but as I get a few minutes into the meditation, then I usually get hit with the hindrances. Uh, then maybe I go, I start to go into a dull, a dull state, you know, five minutes or so into the hindrance, into the, uh, into the meditation, because I'm starting to get present and the mind doesn't like that, you know, so I start avoiding. As I start to get more present, I start to look for escape routes. See this often on retreats. You know, we have a retreat. Uh, this is a little commercial message at the bottom of the page uh, coming up in a few weeks. And, you know, we do, it's an eight-day retreat. And, you know, I've taught a lot of these retreats and I've, I've sat a lot of these retreats. But 
it's so interesting as a teacher because usually on the first day of the retreat, everybody's like, oh, this is great, I'm present, you know. And it's like the hindrances kick in on the second, the third day of the retreat as we start to get more present, you know, and people just have incredible bouts of sleepiness or the mind is just like churning out thoughts of, you know, 20 years ago or when they were in kindergarten, you know, and the, and the time, you know, they, you know, they made that great fort with the blocks and, you know, Mrs. Schmidt's kindergarten class, you know, and it was like, this is, this is a, an incredible inspiration I'm having in my, no, it's like you're, you're doing anything that you can possibly do. You're looking for something to think about so that you don't have to be present because, you know, as we met, we're on this retreat, of course, as we're on a retreat, we're making this incredible, incredibly noble effort to be present. So we go into these hindrances specifically specifically dullness and restlessness, which are states that are rooted in delusion. The purpose of these states is to take us out of the present moment. Uh, you know, that's what they're responding to. They're states that are reactions to the effort that we make to be, to be present. So we go into these states as a way of avoiding the present moment. We don't want to be present. We don't want to be present. So whenever I teach uh, the hindrances, uh, you know, and, and we talk about this, people always say, well, why don't we want to be present? Which is a good question, is a good question. I mean, I think what's really important in working with the hindrances in meditation is that you understand that that's what's happening. You know, you understand that that's what's happening is that when you go into dullness or restlessness, you're avoiding being present because the tendency, you know, for years I thought, well, I'm going into the, these dull states in my meditation because I'm so tired, you know, and I'm working so hard and I've got this job and, you know, and I'm not getting enough sleep and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Or maybe if you go into restlessness, I've got a lot on my plate, I'm thinking a lot. And that's what we tend to want to, th want to think. And at a certain point I realized, you know, that's not the case. Yeah, maybe I'm a little tired, the mind knows where I'm a little vulnerable but I'm never this tired, you know? It's like, have you ever been as tired as you are in a meditation or on a retreat? No, I, I finally came to understand that I was defending against being present. It wasn't that I was tired. Maybe that was 5% of it. 95% was I didn't want to be present. When I saw that, everything shifted because now I realized what was going on. Now I realized what was going on. Uh, and it was like, no, I'm going to be present. I'm going to make this effort to be present. So, for the most part, we don't want to be present. You know, we come to this practice of the Dharma, this practice of meditation, uh, ostensibly, so that we can be present. It's a practice of finding the present moment, uh, but it's not such an easy thing to do. You know, this is why meditation is, is hard, uh, because we resist being present. So, why do we do that? So why do we do that? As, as people often ask, why don't I want to be present? Well, you know, again, you know, this, this leads us into this question, you know, you know, understanding what we mean by the question. You know, we say, well, I don't want to be present. Uh, well, what does it mean to be present? What does it mean to be present within the constructs of the Buddhist teachings? Uh, that's a very simple uh, uh, definition. Uh, but we need to kind of understand what that means, what it means to be present. Uh, so what it means to be present is to be 
in the body or mindful of the body. The mind is in the present moment by being focused on the body. Uh, so sometimes we talk about the practices out of the head, you know, out of the thought realm to the body. The mind is in the body. So we establish mindfulness of the body as a way of being present. So we use the center, the breath, to center ourselves in the body in the present moment. So to be present means to be, and again, this is, the, this is what the Buddhist teachings tell us, to be present is to be in the body, the first foundation of mindfulness. We establish ourselves in the present moment by bringing the mind to the body. This is our human experience. This is our human experience. The thoughts and all that, that's stuff we're making up. Uh, the present moment experience is found within this fathom-long body. Uh, to be present means to keep the mind within this foundation of mindfulness, uh, the, 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 this uh, frame of reference of the body. So this is what it is to be present. The problem is we don't want to be with the body. We don't want to keep the mind on the body. So when we say we don't want to be present, what that means is we don't want to keep the mind on the body. So again, you know, this is all food for thought. Uh, these are things that we have to come to understand through our practice. So I can offer these teachings, but you have to see this for yourself. We don't want to be in the body, with the body. We don't want to keep the mind on the body, which of course leads us to the next question, uh, why? Well, because the body is painful. There's pain in the body. So A, there's pain in the body. B, the inclination of our awareness is to focus on pain. So there's pain in the body and our tendency, our habitual tendency, the tendency of the untrained mind is to focus on what's painful. So, uh, so we associate the present moment with that which is painful. Yeah. The pain in the body, uh, which is, is legitimate. There is pain in the body. Uh, uh, and this is what we uh, associate the present moment with. So the body is inhospitable terrain. The body is inhospitable terrain. We, we, uh, we consider the body uh, a painful place to be. And who wants to be in a place that's painful? You know, the nature of the human mind is to, uh, you know, with good reason, to want to be in places that feel good. You know? So we don't want to be in this place that's painful. There's pain in the body. There's physical pain, right? So the body is subject to all manner of physical pain. Some of it's strong physical pain, the pain of illness and injury, most of it is more subtle, the subtle pain of the body. Uh, you know, the different uh, forms of disease and stress in the body, the, you know, the, the forms, maybe not so subtle, of pain in the body that we experience more and more as the body ages, right? And the body is subject to a lot more aches and pains aches and pains, right? Uh, so uh, the body doesn't feel good, right? The body doesn't feel good. 
there's, there's physical dissonance or disease in the body. So we don't want to be there. Even greater and more significant than the physical pain in the body is the mental and emotional pain that we hold in the body. So what the Buddha tells us is that our experiences of mind, of aversion and desire, of the various emotions, when we arise as form in the body, they all arise as felt sense in the body. Of course, neuroscience is telling us this 25, 2600 years after the Buddha lived, but all a mental, emotional experience arises in the body as physical sensation. And to the extent that we haven't processed those emotions and mental qualities and have held on to them, have clung to them, we hold on to them and we keep them in the body. You know, a lot of the research and trauma uh, tells us this, how uh, mental and emotional pain, if not processed, you know, it's like, we did a lot of processing in my generation, like in my house, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, my dad would say, oh, you're angry, let's sit down and talk about it and process it and talk about your feelings, not, you know, so, so, you know, you know, all of the emotional and mental uh, experience that we've had in our lives that we haven't processed in a skillful way gets held in the body. Subtle trauma, more, uh, more blatant forms of trauma. Uh, so the body is really a storehouse of emotional pain. It's a storehouse of emotional pain. You know, this is what the Buddha says, you know, is talking about when he talks about uh, the tears that we've shed in our lifetimes are enough to fill the, the oceans. You know, we're, we're holding on to this pain. Uh, a lot of it, you know, we, we don't, we, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's deep, you know, it's deep and we're not aware of it, right? We're not aware of it or it's more subtle or, or it manifests in those more subtle movements of dissonance, dis-ease, like in the body, like anxiety, uh, uh, different forms of stress in the body, uh, 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 but it's held, it's in the body, you know, and, and the mind understands that it's there and it's like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be here in the body. I don't want to be here in the body. Uh, and then of course there's the existential pain of having this body, you know, this body that, you know, when we come to really understand it, we understand that it is subject to sickness, aging, and death. So there's this existential, what I call an existential pain. So we don't want to be in the body. We don't like how the body feels. We want to get away from the body. We want to get away from the body. Uh, you know, we don't realize that this is what we're doing, but it's what we're doing. The practice of the Dhamma is to realize that this is what we're doing and to start to maybe do something different. Most people are spending their whole lives getting away from the body, getting away from the body. Uh, the Buddha said, you know, we spend our lives in these states of becoming. That which is, which is, is our human experience, this fathom long body becomes something else. So uh, we go into states, uh, sense pleasures, right? Yeah. All the different forms of media are ways of getting ourselves out of the body, out of the body. You know, I write about this in my book on skillful pleasure. 
uh, Marshall McLuhan back in the 60s called, you know, the different forms of medium self-amputations, you know, the ways of creating, he said, an alternative central nervous system because our own central nervous system is, is fraught with disease. So we create an external central nervous system. We call it the television, you know, or we call it the computer, you know, or the smartphone or whatever. We want to get away from the body, you know. I mean, we all know how, like, when we're stressed and, you know, and, and everybody has their different trip, as we used to say back in the 60s. This is a 60s inflected Dharma talk today. Uh, we all have our own trip. But, you know, <clears throat> many, many of us, when, when, we're, when we're going through difficult times, uh, we might uh, find ourselves at the refrigerator a lot, you know, eating something, right? I mean, I think everybody does that to some extent, you know, you know, you know, well, you know, we say, well, uh, you know, and people might have a sense of, yeah, I'm eating a lot because I'm under a lot of stress. Well, why, why is that, right? Why is that? I mean, this is all just food for thought, no pun intended. Uh, you know, why is that? Why do we end up at the refrigerator when, when we're under stress? I mean, that may seem like a leap, right? But why you end up at the refrigerator when you're under a lot of stress is, well, what does it mean that you're under a lot of stress? The body is in a state of dis-ease. There's an unpleasant quality in the body as a way of getting away from this unpleasant quality and finding something pleasant. We go to the refrigerator. We look for something that feels good because the body doesn't feel good. It's very simple. It's very simple. So we go into states of, uh, of, uh, of pleasure, sense pleasure, external pleasure, if it's the media or the technology, or we go into thinking. Now this is in all postures, right? Uh, we go into thinking or we go into states of what are known as states of non-becoming. So we live in thought worlds. We live in thought worlds, out of the body, in thought worlds. Most of our time we, we've spent living in thought worlds disconnected from the body, cut off from the body. Uh, or we go into states of non-becoming, checking out, falling asleep, taking drugs, numbing ourselves, whatever. Uh, so you know, in the meditation, of course, we're cutting out ostensibly the sense pleasure, can't get up during the middle of the meditation and go to the refrigerator, although I've heard stories of people doing that. Uh, you know, uh, so what do you do? Now you, all you've got is the thinking, or the falling asleep. So we choose one of those. Off the cushion, you've got that number three to really, you know, which is the sense pleasure. It's the fridge and the smartphone and the TV and the computer. So our practice is making this journey to the present moment, which means making this journey to the body, to the body, which is, is, is challenging, right? It's like going into this, you know, uh, inhospitable terrain. So there's two important things, uh, two important elements that we uh, learn to develop in terms of the practice that support us in making this journey to the body. First is what we call mindfulness, right? Mindfulness is a practice of putting the mind on. It's a very specific practice of putting the mind on something. This is why Tanisar Bhikkhu really makes a point to emphasize that 
you know, if we really want to develop the Buddha's teaching, we really have to understand what the Buddha means by mindfulness, that the mindfulness is a very purposeful, proactive process of putting the mind on something that begins with putting the mind on the body, the first foundation of mindfulness, which begins with, of course, putting the mind on the breath. So we engage, and so it's very important to know that mindfulness is, is, is the way the Buddha teaches, it's very purposeful. We're doing something for a very specific reason. There's a quality of purpose and intention, and we're being proactive in that effort. So it's not this sort of loosey-goosey mindfulness that's often taught, uh, which is fine, but it doesn't really pertain to the Buddha's project, the Buddha's project of being present. We have to be very purposeful in that effort. So the mechanism that makes mindfulness happen is known as vitaka, directed thought. Uh, so that basically means in order to get your mind onto something, you've got to tell yourself, focus on that thing. So the Buddha says, tell yourself to focus on the breath. Tell yourself to focus on the breath. That's directed thought. Uh, you, it's a process of reminding yourself to stay with the breath that's very proactive. So we try to be very proactive in putting the mind on the breath and trying to keep the mind on the breath because it doesn't want to stay there. It's only going to stay there for two seconds on its own. So you have to kind of be proactive in keeping the mind on the breath. Now that is not going to be enough. That's just a start. That's just a start. Uh, we're not going to be able to maintain mindfulness of the body, to keep the mind on the body, to keep ourselves in the present moment simply through the effort of being mindful of the breath and the body. What the Buddha asks us to do, and this is the second element of the practice of making the journey to the body, is to shape an experience of the body that's easeful, that's pleasurable, to cultivate a pleasurable abiding to cultivate a pleasurable abiding. So we make this effort, and this falls under the heading, of course, of mindfulness of, of breathing, mindfulness of the body. We make an effort to cultivate an easeful breath. That's evaluation, vikara. Uh, we make an effort to cultivate an easeful breath, and then to cultivate an easeful abiding in the full body, full body. This is so important. Uh, because the breath could feel really good, but, you know, the, the knee might hurt, and there might be this emotional pain here, and there might be this emotional, you know, so it's not enough just that the breath feels good. We've got to get the rest of the body to feel pretty darn good before the mind is going to want to stay in the present moment and with the body. So when you get to the body to feel really pleasurable, there's this pleasurable abiding, then there's this quality of contentment. The mind goes, oh, this is a pretty good place to be. I don't mind being here. Let's stay here for, for, you know, for a little bit. And that's how you make the journey to the body and develop concentration, the ability to stay in the body regardless of what your circumstances are, equanimity, uh, these qualities of concentration. So what the Buddha came to realize was that only when there's a pleasurable abiding are we going to be able to stay in the present moment and in the body. So there's these two things. We have to be proactive in keeping the mind on the breath and in the body, and we have to shape, but that's not going to be enough to develop concentration. You know, 
we have to shape an experience of the body that's pleasurable so the mind will want to stay there. So the steps of the breath meditation give us the technique for doing that, enable us to be present. So we develop this mindfulness of the body, we develop this easeful and pleasurable abiding in the body, the capacity to stay in the present moment and to stay with the body, and then from there we're able to learn to understand, uh, develop wisdom in the service of develop in the service of developing a skillful relationship with the pain in the body, because our our work isn't quite done yet, right? Because there's still that pain, you know. We're just developing these really pleasurable states, but that pain is still there. So we still need to look at the physical pain. That's known as the second foundation of mindfulness. And the third foundation of mindfulness, we look at the mental and emotional pain. We take those things even further apart using strategies that are in the fourth foundation of mindfulness. So we develop an abiding in the body, a pleasurable abiding in the body. And from there, we're able to, we could say, develop a skillful relationship with the pain in the body we're able to look at what's painful. We're able to look at what's painful and how we're relating to it. We're able to look at those painful physical sensations, those painful emotions, those sensations, to see how we're relating to them, to understand what they are. They're just sensations. They're just sensations. It's just form. They're empty. They're just arising out of conditions. They're not who we are. They can be let go of. We can find freedom from that. But we can't understand that until we can look at them and look at them clearly, unflinchingly, with equanimity. And we're not going to be able to do that unless we make this journey to the body. We make this journey to the body. So we develop this easeful abiding in the body. And then from there, we're able to look at what's painful and understand it and see how we can have a skillful relationship to it. But we look at that what's painful from a place of strength, from a place of strength, knowing that we always have an easeful abiding to go back to, that we always, you know, our experience is not, you know, one of the hard things about pain is that, you know, uh, you, you know, you can't look at pain if all you know is pain, you know, you know if there's no duality. You know, this is something that we talk about a lot, you know, when we understand that our experience isn't all painful, that there are, is ease and well-being, that there's appreciation, there's love, there's compassion, then we're able to look at what's painful. You know? So we develop this easeful and pleasurable abiding in the body. We develop a quality of appreciation and love and compassion. And now we can look at our pain from a place of strength. So this is our practice. This is a path to develop mindfulness of the body as a way of coming into the present moment, uh, develop an easeful and pleasurable abiding in the meditation, but, a but, but maintain that, right? Our practice is to maintain an easeful and pleasurable abiding in all of our postures and all of our activities as we go through the day to be present for this life, to be present for this life. You know, this is the great tragedy you know, if you think of, we don't usually think of Buddha, Buddhism as, you know, uh, we think of, you use the word dukkha, suffering. You think of the great tragedy of, uh, of, of life is that we, you know, we're here for a short time, but most of the time we're not really here for it. 
were lost in thought or on the damn phone. Excuse my word, my use of the word phone. Uh, so most of the time we're, you know, we're here for just this very brief period, you know, but we're not really present for it. And that's the great tragedy, you know, of this human life. So, so the Buddha offers us a way to be here for this human experience, you know, to be, to be awake and to be in the present moment. And of course, you know, once we're able to do that, we, we you know, we, we look at the pain of this human experience and we also are able to understand the great joy and the great happiness and the great potential that we have in this life to know happiness, to help other beings, to live with generosity and to practice non-harming and to, and to know uh, the great fruits of, of this life, the happiness of the heart, which is what this life offers us. So we learn to establish this ease and it all comes, you know, it all comes you know, it's like, you know, my teacher likes to say, do concentration, all of the rest of this will unfold. It all comes from establishing and then maintaining this abiding in the body, this pleasurable and easeful abiding in the body. This is what will see us through. So let's just close our eyes for a second. <clears throat> 